Davies. Davy Flowers? Oh. It's the beginning of one of her songs. Oh, I really like that. Because I was listening to uh-huh. uh, four or five of her songs okay. on a regular basis like a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds like a podcast beginning. <laughs> Cool. If somebody who likes making beats, yes, yes, actually make yes, us one. Yes, we also have some questions to answer this time around, and then the next time we'll talk about our gospel mission. Thank you to the Fukumaros. Yes. <laughs> hey, so thankful for the celebration dinner, and as Lisa said, is that's a really good and proper way of bringing together all that God has blessed us in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It was a celebration. celebration. It was a celebration of chicken. Lots of chicken. Just to let everyone know, we had a potluck dinner where Fuji said to everyone, don't just all bring dessert. So almost no one brought dessert. <laughs> <laughs> one dessert came. Thankful to Thankful. Who? I don't know who. Thankful for the they, brownies. Thankful that someone didn't listen to you. Because if everyone listened to you... There would have been no brownies. <laughs> no, this, just <laughs> no, this, some cut up strawberries. But there was basically the chicken would have become the dessert. Maybe <laughs> a little sweeter chicken would have been the there dessert. There was some sweet chicken there. Sweeter there chicken. Yeah. I think there were probably anywhere from eight to 10 different types of chicken. Or poultry. Because oh, turkey. Yes. yes, someone brought a turkey. Turkey. That, what a celebration. You, If you have turkey at a celebration, can't help but give thanks. <laughs> That's Isn't right. that true? That's right. <laughs> so it's a, it was such a great, great time. What a blessing. I think uh, to end the season with celebration is such a beautiful picture of the gospel and of all the rich ways that we were blessed throughout the time. It's amazing because the time really flew so quickly. We had assumed that I remember when we were planning it in your office, the dates, mm. and we were looking at, okay, we're starting in March, pretty much as soon as we came back from Africa. And then it was going to May, mid-May, and in March, it was really cold still. And then here we are now in May, and I'm, you know, wearing shorts and t-shirts, and, and then to have it end, it's a, it was just a remarkable time. Really blessed by all those who gathered. Thankful to have processed this season with the elders long before and throughout, yes. as well as uh, journeyed with this set of wellspringers together. I think it's a tremendous blessing. Yeah. Today, I wanted to continue thinking and considering gospel community. We will get to gospel mission next time we talk, which I think we'll have a few, few pods on it, but when it comes to gospel community, and I know that we'll be coming back to this topic again and again, these pods. Casts. Or pods. Pods, for sure. (laughs) Pods. The question I wanted to talk about are some impediments, obstacles to gospel community. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about that. What do you believe are some areas where gospel community can be hindered and even really a sense of discouragement can occur enough that it actually causes a ceasing of gospel community. And I'm not talking about small groups. In other words, I actually think that a small group can meet 
in perpetuity, but not be a gospel community. I think that's actually much more commonplace. So the question is, what makes a group of people gather together and not have gospel community? What what stops gospel community? What do you think? I think the general and generic statement is, without the gospel, community and groups, it's very superficial sharing with one another. When I say superficial, that may sound too harsh, but yeah, it is sharing of life together. Like, how are you doing? What are some of the activities that are going on in your life? Um, But I think there is a lack of depth spiritually, even emotionally, that you really can't kind of deepen or go deeper into without the gospel. Self-awareness of my flaws, your humility that comes from needing Christ in your life, dealing with real things like idols, real struggles, coming before a real God, not this superficial, you know, vision or view of God where he just comes to bless me or judge me. But that sounds general and generic. What do you think? Not general and generic. I think that's good. Impediments to community. See, I think there are probably a huge list. We're going to scratch the surface. Um, One is very basic. And uh, it just deals simply with group dynamics, which is that Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So the reality is that if you don't meet together, there's no such thing as community, let alone gospel community. And inconsistency of a group always leads to real challenge. There's um, many reasons that is the case. And I think you would have a lot to say about this, but what I found is that We might think, because I do think that Satan will always tempt you once you start growing, always tempt you to say there's something better. Sue and I were hosting some um, high school seniors and they were talking about preparing for the next stage, which is looking for roommates in their new colleges that they're going to be attending. And unlike you and I, who went to school to college in the 80s, Today, when you come up with a roommate, it's very different. I don't remember how you came up with your roommate. That was completely random. And it was just... completely random. And did you have an option as to how to pick a roommate? I could have, but I didn't really know anybody. Okay, sure. So I don't know how. I had a friend. Did. We did live together. But other than that, if I didn't have that, it would have been completely random and that's it. Well, do you know how they do it today? No. It's all through uh, Instagram and Facebook. And so what happens is you find out who is your roommate. And you, you find out who's going to the school with you, who's in your class, and you start just posting, okay, here are my interests, here's who I am. And then they start almost like online dating, where they start yamming each other and having communications and saying, oh, I like this. And then, but then they get ghosted sometimes. Because what's happening is that you're leaving all your options open. Because if you're communicating not with one individual person closing it out and then going to the next person. It's you're communicating with 20 people at the same time. And you're trying to evaluate whether out of these 20 people, which one you want to live with. And it's all simultaneous. And so what happens is that people will say, like the the students said that sometimes they get these texts that say, yeah, you're you're pretty good, but I want to leave my options open. Because what's happening is that they're still trying to figure out, okay, this is a decent person, but I'm also talking to these 19 other people. So I'm not necessarily sure if I want to close all my options by picking this person because I want to continue talking to these 19 people. I mean, it really is like this game theory that takes place, you know, all throughout. And uh, 
I think that's such this mentality of, I want to keep my options open. Even when it comes to gospel community, it's, I have all these things on my schedule and yeah, I'll go to gospel community, but maybe on another day, I want to do this and I need to keep my options open. It's, it's such the sort of the God of this world is choice. Everyone loves choice. We want to be able to do what we want to do in our time frame. And that flies in the face of gospel community because gospel community isn't always about choice. It's the fact that it is choice, but it's not that we choose our time. It's that God has chosen us through Christ. And therefore, we actually go and when we make commitments and follow through on our word, we do so. So if we say, I'm going to commit to this group, what's going to happen as soon as you commit to a group is that you will find suddenly all these other choices open up. On that particular day, there's, you know, you could go, a a buddy comes into town that you haven't seen in a long time and you say, oh, I I really want to spend time with him. Or I want to go, I got invited to a baseball game, so I'm going to go to that. Or I want to travel, and so I'm going to pick that time frame. It's very interesting because even in the most tightly committed context, for example, Gospel Well, we made up front very clearly, okay, if you join this, you're making a commitment. You're making a commitment to come. Very important. And it's because the person who misses, they actually impact the dynamic of not just themselves, but the whole group. And we might not necessarily inherently, obviously feel that person missing, but it happens. We actually feel it. There's a dynamic that is not the same when someone who has committed to come does not come. And slowly, if we're not careful, it starts degrading because if we just say, ah, it's no big deal, then the next person has that same heart. And the next person, and then the gospel community just disintegrates. There has to be a, not just a commitment, but a a battling. Once you make that commitment to say, I'm not going to give up this time in meeting together. It's very important. Otherwise, as the Hebrews writer tells us, you get into the habit. And I think that habit happens from this slow sort of excuse building degrading of priority that takes place in our heart and it just melts away. What are your thoughts? I want to always relate what my friend has told me over and over again, where every generation, you know, we're more affluent or more established or more capable. And what we may have grown up, we had options. Now there's more options for ourselves and for our kids. Small group or those kind of spiritual relationships becomes one of one of 20 options on that day or on that hour. Then the habit is no longer a habit. It's right. just when I can, I'll get to it. Because of the gospel, I need other people in my life. And because of Jesus being connected with him, he says, now you belong to one another. Mm-hmm. And that's not an option. <laughs> It's, a, it's even a greater than a priority, I think. It's a must. It's a strong exhortation. I think you could say that it's a command at least to gather together. It's not to say that, oh, you have to attend a small group or something like that, but we do have to be together in encouraging one another. I mean, that's a really important part of our sanctification that yeah. God uses through the Spirit because you have to deal with sinful people and sinful people bring out your own sins. It's sort of draws it out, our idols get hooked, and then once it's identified, then you can start working on it. If I may add, this is beyond your family. If you have other believers in your family, your spouse, children, or extended family, and thankfully you have those relationships, 
But the community that we're talking about is brothers and sisters right. in Christ. Right. It's beyond the family. Yeah. I mean, Jesus made that so clear when he said, when the disciples said, hey, your brother and your mother are there trying to yeah. talk to you. And he said, look around. These are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Is that pretty much says clearly to us how we should think about community. It's not just your family. In fact, sometimes I do think that we do believe so wrongly that our family is all we need. No, that's just not what's going to cause us to need Christ. I know some guys, they're believers in Jesus, but they've justified them being so concerned about their family, that being the the center of their spiritual life. But it's really an idolatry. It is an idolatry. It is. But they're not growing because they're not part of the, the church community, yeah. really. I feel like San Ramon, California, it is a, uh, a hotbed for family idolatry. It is. <laughs> yes. And you know where it is not a hotbed, at least not in the same way, is Africa. So many families are completely broken. You, you don't have family so often. And you, family sometimes can be your enemy. So it's there that you realize, if I don't have a believing community, then I won't be able to make it. Then you have Muslim countries where if you turn to Christ, you get rejected from your family. So this is a, uh, this family idolatry is very much a cultural idolatry. It's very Western, but it's also Far Eastern as well. It sort of is the East and West, but those who are not from those areas, it's a very different place. So uh, that's one impediment. And I think that for those who lead gospel communities, it's probably one of the most discouraging part of leading a gospel community is when you have people who are inconsistent. And again, I'm not saying that there aren't times where people can't make something. There are vacations, and that's totally fine. There are work obligations. There is illness. But I think we all know that there's a difference between those and, like, for example, if it's, I'm going on vacation every week, or sometimes we have a job where I never meet with people ever. Now, again, even with work, there's seasons of work. For example, a physician, they go through training, a police officer, they're on shift work, a firefighter. They have all these uh, different schedules. So there's the reality of that. But for some people, work is everything. And so therefore, they miss everything all the time. For that person, they really need to ask the question, is this work keeping me from knowing and growing in Christ? And if the answer to that is yes, then it's a hard process and question that needs to be dealt with. But I think it's very important to, at least in your heart, be asking that question. And so if it's, I'm going on vacation every week and I never have time to meet with brothers and sisters in Christ, then maybe a question needs to be asked for your own soul and for the souls of your children who are watching you and saying, oh, if that's not a priority for you, then why should it be a priority for me when I go to college and I you know, don't need the church anymore? I would say that so often there is a, a direct correlation, so often, how the parents are and how they view the church and life and ministry to how children are, because they're watching. So it is very important for people to be consistent. That consistency leads to a certain dynamic. And I would say that in our church, those groups that are most consistent in meeting, they tend to be the ones that are probably more thriving in their fellowship, in their uh, connectedness towards one another. Those that have people who are fading in and out, it is a challenge. And it's hard to get that momentum going of growing in grace. And also it's hard to be vulnerable when people are coming in and out. 
and you have this totally different group of people almost every time you meet. And so you haven't built a sense of comfort, trust, and just openness. Could I ask you on that note? Yeah. We kind of talked about this offline. How long do you think it will take a group, even if they met consistently, to get to a level of intimacy and openness? Yeah. I think that question has certain factors that are needed in order for it to be answered. One is, how often does this group meet? Because if they met every day, then the length of time is probably shorter, right? Right. It's called college campus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Christian community. Yes. Because you, you see each other all the yes. time. So if we form the commune, which we're tempted to do. Okay, no, I'm just kidding, everyone. <laughs> I've had this conversation. This is a total sidebar, but I've had this conversation of communes with a few random people. And some say, I would love a commune. Some say, I would, that's, that's my prison. That would be a nightmare. <laughs> and so for those of you who love communes, we'll join one together. We'll make one. For those of you who don't love them, Talk to Fuji. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So how often you meet matters, but let's say like ours, you meet once every two weeks, then probably it's going to take maybe two to three years, maybe longer. And then some of our GCs all together meet once a month. I think if you meet once a month, it is very difficult to build that type of camaraderie, fellowship, koinonia, connectedness. It's hard because here's the problem with once a month is that you go on vacation, you miss one, that one time meeting. Then you haven't seen this person for two months, sometimes three months. Are you going to really be intimately drawn towards someone? So there is a practicality. Now, um, I'm leading a team of high school students to Villafranca. We're going to be together for two weeks, but two weeks, 24-7, with a very common mission overseas. That has its own unity that I have seen make a difference in even people, these kids who, on Sundays, we've been meeting the whole year. I've seen this happen, actually, where they don't talk to each other. They're in small little segments, uh, clicks, whatever you want to call them, go on this trip, and suddenly there's this intimacy. It's broken these barriers because to have that type of close quarter common mission, it can speed up in some ways. That's why we always thought the retreat, it's one weekend. We would say, it's true though, the equivalent of one weekend together of that type of unity and fellowship compared to like a small group that meets once a month, you're going to go grow closer in that one weekend than you would to a small group that meets once a month and it would probably take a year and maybe even longer. So you could get that in a weekend. So I don't think it's about a time frame. But it's so much more about what do you do when you actually gather and how often do you gather within that time frame? And that intentionality of Mm. you're there to encourage one another spiritually, be reflective with one another and so on. Will you ever get to a level of meaningful intimacy and trust, having spent time with one another life Mm -hmm. on life? Mm -hmm. Going back to the question, how long would it take that's actually going to make a meaningful impact mm. if it takes five years. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have that time. <laughs> no, we don't. And by, that's another thing is you wait that long, maybe there's a life change. Maybe something serious has happened where you are. You have this illness or an illness in the family, so you can't even meet. So there are so many things that take place. I've seen people who are very committed to a group and then suddenly they go from having a kid in college, I'm sorry, high school, to having a kid in college. 
there's a big change there. There's a shift. Those life stage changes can also lead to some real deprioritizing of a fellowship. So I'm not saying that just meeting together inherently leads to gospel communion because we've already discussed that it doesn't. You can have a really consistent meeting of people and yet not have gospel community. What I do say though is if you don't meet together, there's no way you're going to have gospel community. Like that just isn't going to happen. So even though this isn't necessarily going to automatically lead to gospel community, it's just not possible to do it if you don't meet together. And there are all these impediments to meeting together. So I really want to encourage you if you are listening to this and maybe you've been inconsistent that you would decide, you know, I'm going to commit and I'm going to go even when I don't feel like it, when I'm tired, when I'm distracted, when I'm going to make it a priority in my scheduling. So therefore, rather than planning all these different events for my kids or myself or my family, that I'll actually try to adjust it in accordance with that. And again, that's not to say you can't take vacation or have special times, but Generally speaking, to have that type of commitment is really important for your own soul, as well as for the blessing of the people you're gathering with. Right, your contribution to it. Exactly. Yeah. One of the questions that we receive through Gospel Well at wspring.org is, we were prepared to attend church knowing that we might be disappointed again and not find a gospel community that we were always looking for. Is it a sin expecting too much and wanting this thing that we didn't know existed. Don't think it's a sin to expect to want to grow, want to grow in grace. I do think, and I shared this this past Sunday in particular, that it is possible to be ungracious with grace. And so one of the great challenges that I think people face when they sort of have their light switch turned on with the gospel is that they start asking the question, why haven't I learned this before? And what about my former church that didn't teach this and were they, why did they mess me up or whatever, however you want to approach that. And I would say, you know what, God has a sovereign plan and in his timing, he decides to do things in accordance to his will, his timing. So therefore, rather than looking at it and saying, oh, why did they not do this? Why, why are we so disappointed the answer is not to look back so much at what happened, but to say, I want to be a part of a community where I can actively not just participate, but actually be an exhorter, um, someone who lives out the gospel by sharing my own weaknesses, my own struggles, showing how much I need Christ. And by moving forward, by being a, a conduit by which the Lord uses to show others this good news is a far greater healing salve over the past than if you were to try to relive it and be like, why did this happen? Or what about all these people? Sometimes it takes a while, even for those people, even for pastors. I know it did for myself. I know it did for you, Fuji. And so don't be too disappointed. Rather see it as the Lord's leading in his timing and then say, for me, this is how I'm going to live and operate and consider life. And I think you'll be a rich blessing. Yes. There are more questions. There are more questions. There are more impediments. So maybe we could talk about more impediments next time and, and then more questions. More questions. Yeah. So again, if you have questions, please email gospelwell at wspring.org. In the fall, we are going to offer our second cohort of Gospel Well, our second session. And it begins on September 26th. So we hope that you consider joining us uh, for this second go-round of Gospel Well, which we're excited for, praying about. Thanks for listening. 